Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. This morning comes from 1 Samuel uh, chapter 30. We're going to start in verse 3. Now there are a number of things you need to know. You may remember that we, we've been going through 1 Samuel here and, and David has been kicked out of the family by Saul. And Saul has been pursuing him. Saul is the king of Israel, and David has been anointed king by Samuel. And Saul is jealous, and Saul is trying to kill David. And Saul has chased David all over the place to the point where David finally decided he had to find a place where he could go and be safe for a while. And so David has gone and found a king and has begun to live with this king and and serve this king in a way. Uh, and he's taken his men, and, and while he has gone out on raiding parties, he has destroyed the enemies of Israel in the name of this other king. You see, he used his situation. And so while he's doing that, uh, he's getting ready to go to battle, and the king uh, calls him up and says, listen, I'm going to go against Judah. Well, Judah, of course, is David's homeland. And David says, I'm with you 100%. I don't know what he thought he was going to do, but he thought, well, i got to keep this ruse up as long as I can. So they, they amass the army, and as they're getting ready to go, all the other commanders come to the king and say, uh-uh, this is David's homeland. We get there, he's going to turn on us. You send him back home. Now, the king had given David a city called Ziklag, and the king finally said to David, listen, David, you can't come. And David said, what have I done? And he says, it's not that, it's just the other guys don't trust you, so I'm going to send you home. So he goes back home to Ziklag, and when he gets there, the Amalekites have come while he was gone, and all the men of his uh, army has gone. And the Amalekites have destroyed the city, set it to fire, and has run off with all the women and all the children. And these guys come home to houses on fire and families taken away and everything they own lost. And that's where we come to chapter 30, beginning with verse uh, we're going to start at verse 3, so you, listen carefully till we get to verse 6 if you don't have your scriptures. Otherwise, read with me. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But but David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue the raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and the 600 men with him came to the Besser Ravine, 
where some stayed behind, for 200 men were too exhausted to cross the ravine. But David and 400 men continued the pursuit. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived, for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, To whom do you belong and where do you come from? He said, I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Carathites and the territory belonging to Judah and the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag. David asked him, Can you lead me down to this raiding party? He answered, Swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master, and I will take you down to them. He led David down, and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until evening the next day, and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything. David recovered everything. The Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young and old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of their flock, livestock, saying, This is David's plunder. May God add God's blessing to the reading and hearing of this God's most holy word. Lord God, it's so easy to get caught up in what's going on in our lives. That we forget that you have a greater plan and a greater purpose. We are busy exalting ourselves, really, rather than exalting you. May our hearts be on our knees as we exalt your name today. May our ears be attuned to your voice. May our lives begin to line up a little more with yours today as we listen and as we respond to your Spirit speaking to our hearts and to our lives. We thank you, Lord, for being here today, for loving us that much, for being willing to give your time, your effort, your grace, your love, your compassion, your mercy to come into our lives and this morning to speak into our hearts. We do not deserve it. Thank you for so much love. And I thank you, Lord, that, that you've given me this opportunity to speak and ask that you would speak through me, though I'm unworthy, except by your incredible grace. So meet with us this morning, Lord. And speak to us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A 
for much of our lives, I am afraid, uh, we have a tendency to focus on tragedy. Just think about it. When you watch the news, what is the news all about? Well, it should be what's going on, but usually what it's all about is tragedy. For instance, this week, another week of tragedy. Uh, We've seen it, and um, it's been quite sad. Uh, Now, some would say that uh, Britain leaving the uh, European Union was a tragedy. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that. The news certainly has been presenting it as such, um, and and they have said, "Oh, look what's happening! The stock market has died, dove." And uh, for all of you on fixed incomes, you may be saying, "Oh no, what am I going to do?" And, and and there's all this uh, turmoil, and the the media has really pumped it up, haven't they? Oh, the the world's going to end because Great Britain. That little country left the European Union. I'm not sure I buy into the hoopla, uh, but certainly they, they have presented it as a tragedy in our world. Um, and then, of course, there's the wildfires out west, which for many are a great tragedy. Um, we, we saw homes totally destroyed and uh, acres and acres of land uh, burned and people who have lost houses. And as of yesterday, I saw that there were two elderly people that were unable to get out of their house quickly enough and that they died in the fire. Tragedy is all around us, isn't it? And it may not be a national tragedy or an international tragedy that that keeps you focused on tragedy. Uh, I, I know that many of us have our own personal struggles, and some of you have personal hurts. And I think sometimes those struggles and those hurts even begin to define us. But I want to suggest to you today that we need not focus on tragedy in our lives. It doesn't mean tragedy won't happen. And it doesn't mean that we don't stop when tragedy happens and with compassion and love and brokenness come before the Father. But the truth of the matter is that tragedy is not the focus of a follower of Jesus Christ. For a follower of Jesus Christ always, always, always has the hope of victory even in the midst of tragedy. Tragedy never needs to define the believer in Jesus Christ. (coughs) Now don't get me wrong. It will touch us. It will affect us for a moment. It will draw us in. But the strange thing about following Jesus is that tragedy never overcomes us. Tragedy never defines us. Tragedy is not who we are. We are people of victory. You all don't look so excited about that. Well, hopefully before we're done, you are excited about the truth of this focus of victory. You know, uh, even the psalmist said that weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. King James Version, uh, weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Uh, 
You see, as a believer in Christ, there's always that but. Whenever tragedy runs into us, we always have that but. But don't give up. Uh, Tony Campolo used to uh, plagiarize the sermon he heard. He would, well, he would give credit to the, the African-American preacher he heard who preached it. It was t- entitled, Fridays. It's Friday. It's Friday, but... Sunday's coming. Have you heard that sermon? That's, that's an incredible sermon. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. You see, as a believer in Jesus Christ, no matter what the tragedy, it is but a momentary tragedy in the midst of your life, and you can still see the victory. The question is, where is your focus? The world will focus on the tragedy of your life. But Christ would begin to transform your focus. Turn it upside down. So that you are no longer focused on tragedy, but rather focused on victory. Now we see that in this morning's passage, don't we? We see victory being proclaimed even in the midst of the tragedy. David and his men come home. They find their homes destroyed. They find their families dragged off. And they spend some time weeping. And these grown men are in the midst of tragedy in their lives. And they're weeping out loud. As a matter of fact, Scripture says they wept until they had no strength left to weep. They cried so much. You ever cry that much? You cried so much that no more tears left. Just totally wiped out. And you're, you're a basket case, we usually call people like that. Oh, they're a basket case. Well, these men weren't just basket cases. They were done. And then, of course, the anger set in. And they began to look for David. And they were going to stone him. After all, isn't it somebody's fault when a tragedy occurs? It's got to be somebody's fault. We're looking for someone to blame. Watch out. In the midst of the tragedy of this world, they're always looking for someone to blame, aren't they? It's got to be somebody's fault. Tragedies, tragedies in our world don't just happen. Somebody had to cause it. And they will start with any human being they can find. They will, they will then go directly to God. And ultimately they find God being the reason for the tragedies in our world. Which is just totally opposite of the truth, isn't it? It's not unusual, however. You remember Adam and Eve in the garden? Uh, same story, isn't it? Um, Adam and Eve take of the fruit of the tree. And God comes along. And... You know, Eve's all about, you know, it's the serpent's fault. Have you read this story? This this, this, is a defining story in Scripture, I think. Eve's Eve's really clear that it's it's Satan's fault. Adam, I always like Adam. Adam starts out blaming his wife. But if you listen carefully, he actually blames God. Because he says, the woman you gave me. Yeah. You see, God, it's your fault. Uh, The truth of the matter is that tragedies in our world are a result of sin that has come into our world. But Jesus came in the world to bring victory over sin. You see, we as followers of Jesus Christ can always see the victory in the midst 
of tragedy. Here are David and his men. They're at an end. (coughs) And so what does David do? Well, David turns to the one who actually can provide strength for him. Look at verse 6. It says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. He turned to the Lord his God from whom he knew he could get strength in the midst of this tragedy. If you want to experience victory in the tragedy of your life, the first thing to do is to approach the one who has power in the situation. Now, the reason I put it that way is because we in our world today believe that we have the power to control the situation. Uh, By the way, that was me in my younger days. (coughs) I had it removed, Kenny. No, obviously that's not me, but that that guy, boy, that's that's some strength. Uh, Because ever since I put it up there, he's been in that position. It's amazing. Uh, That's a lot of strength. And sometimes we think we can get through the tragedy on our own. We're going to grab our own strength. We can make it, especially we in the United States who have that individual individuality. I'm going to make it on my own. The problem is someday you will face a tragedy that you cannot overcome on your own. I was dealing with a young man years ago uh, whose wife had actually left him. Uh, and uh, he called me up. He said, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, maybe you need to get on your knees and talk to Jesus and then get on the phone and talk to her. And he said, no, he says, whenever I got, was on the football team and I got knocked down, I got myself up and I, I made it to the sideline. Well, I had happened to know that the one time he did make it to the sideline, it was the wrong sideline, but he did make it to the sideline. I said to him, so you're telling me that if you got hit and you broke both legs, you would somehow get up on your own and make it to the sideline. Well, I suppose I, I couldn't do that. Oh, so you're telling me you do need help once in a while. Well, yeah, a little anyway. I said, brother... This is a situation where you need the strength of the Lord. Some people try to rely on other people for their strength. The truth of the matter is other people can encourage you, and that's okay. But they cannot give you... You need someone who is more powerful. Look for the most powerful one in each situation. Look for power. Don't, don't go for just the, the little bit of help. Go for the strength. Go for the gusto. Find the strength that will actually give you victory in the midst of the trial. I, I know people who go to spirit, spiritists and spiritualists and people who go to uh, Ouija boards. I know people who go to Ouija boards trying to find answers to their tragedies, trying to make it through. There's got to be a way. You remember, even King Saul did that. He went to the witch of Endor. Somehow he had to talk to Samuel. He thought maybe that would be the way through his tragedy. Instead of turning to the Lord his God and repenting and laying himself before the Almighty God who had the power to change the situation, he went to a fraud. And he went to demons. And some people say to me, well, you know, those witches, they they can do great things. Well, you know, Satan did a lot of incredible things. But God is still more powerful than Satan. 
And if you would turn to the Lord instead of to these other things, you would find the strength to get through, not just to get through a tragedy, but to find victory in the midst of tragedy. David turns to the Lord his God and And when he turns to the Lord his God, all of a sudden he finds new strength. And he's able to grab hold of that strength. You know, the scripture says, the psalmist said, some trust in horses and some trust in chariots. I'm sorry, it says it the other way around. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. But we trust in whom? The name of the Lord our God. Call upon the name of the Lord. He is able to change things. He is the able to give you strength in the midst of your tragedy. Really, this is the story of Scripture, isn't it? Isn't this the, the whole story of Scripture right here? Because you see, Jesus walked on this earth, and people got mad at him because he told the truth. And he shared with them the love and the compassion of Christ. But, but they wanted to do it on their own. They wanted their own strength. They thought that they could overcome the problems of their lives by simply trusting in themselves. And Jesus said, you can't get to heaven. You can't solve your sin problem. You can't solve your tragedy problems by putting your trust in yourself. You have to put your trust in the Lord. And they didn't want to hear it. So they... They hung him on a cross. And while he was there, he called upon the name of the Lord his God. And he died on the cross. And people sat there and cried and mourned. And they said, this is such a tragedy. Jesus, in that last moment on the cross, cries out, it is finished. And they said, oh, it's over. He's saying it's over. That's not what he was saying. He was saying that his death has now accomplished the forgiveness of sin for all humanity. It's finished. Three days later, he walked out of that tomb. Alive. Victory in the midst of what others claimed was tragedy. Jesus brought victory even in the midst of death. It's the story of Scripture over and over and over again. God constantly bringing victory in the midst of the struggles in your life. That's the God we serve. Victory comes from drawing your strength from God. And then David goes to God and says, God, do we pursue? God says, pursue. And off they go. I I can imagine there was a lot of energy at first. Hey, God said we should go, let's go. And they all hopped on their horses or their their, uh, uh, camels. (laughs) Whatever they happen to find, they're running to the battle. They're going to beat these guys. And they're running and they're going and they're going and they're going and they're not exactly sure where they are. So they're, they're running with anticipation. They believe that God said they would have victory. They're going to have victory. Now it's interesting to me that they had to do something about that. God didn't say, I'm going to bring the victory. You hang out here. Don't worry, they'll be home any day now. Did you notice that? I've learned something about following Jesus. I'm only a follower of Jesus if I'm actually doing something that Jesus would do. 
if I'm sitting at home watching TV, I'm probably not following Jesus very well. You see, if I'm busy doing something that Jesus would do, then I'm a follower of Jesus. When, 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 when I'm sitting and doing my own thing, when I'm off doing something that, that I think would be good to do, that I want to do, then I'm probably not following Jesus. Jesus calls us to be His followers. He calls us to put our trust in Him. That's step number one. Step number two is to actually step out and believe Him and step out in faith. And not just sit around and say, oh, this tragedy is real bad. Or just say, Lord, I need Your help. But to take the next step. The Scripture says, I know we've looked at this a hundred times. This is an incredible verse. I could read this every day and still get more out of it. But it starts right here. Seek first His kingdom. Seek for, If you're going to seek something, do you seek something sitting at home? If you're looking for... Uh, we, we lose a lot of things at our house. I don't know if you lose anything at your house. We lose a lot of things at our house. I've discovered that the only way to find something you've lost is to go after it. Um, uh, there are times when I get so upset that I sit down and I say, I don't know where to look anymore. But if I'm not looking, I'm not going to find it, am I? A lot of people say to me, I, I don't see God at work in my life. Well, uh, the question is, have you been stepping out in faith and looking for Him to work in your life? Or have you just been sitting back and saying, well, I don't, I don't get it. In other words, have you been talking to your neighbors about Jesus? Have you been taking opportunities to share the love of Jesus with people you run in, in contact with? Have you actually been doing something? Or have you just been sitting there saying, Lord, I love you. I know you love me. And I'm going to just sit here and enjoy that for the rest of my life. Then you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus is calling you to respond to His love and share that love with others. Now, there comes a point where you have to rest. And I want you to notice that in this passage, 200 men had to rest. And so they took time out, they made sure those guys got set up, and they were going to rest. And I, it just made me think of, uh, of a sports team. Now, this is basketball, and Curry doesn't look like he's resting very well right there. Um, but, you know, they did lose. Anyway, uh, no Cleveland fans here? <laughs> uh, but it, it reminded me, it really reminded me of hockey, uh, of, of course. Um, what can I say? What doesn't? Uh, but, but being coach of the hockey team, it was interesting to watch uh, the players because you see the players get off the bench and they're all excited and they, they go out there and they give, uh, give their all. Um, and what usually happens with a younger team, a uh, newer team in hockey, they get out there and they play 100%. And, and then all of a sudden, they're out there and they realize they're tired. Now here's the problem. If they're out there and they realize they're tired, it's too late. You see, so as the coach, it was my job to try to get them to get to the bench before they got tired. Now, this was very difficult with the team that I coached. Because, because they wanted to play. They wanted to give their all. And that was great. But the problem was they gave so much 
that all of a sudden they had nothing and they're out on the ice and then we're in trouble because the other team has been playing, rotating, and so they have fresh skates out on the ice and all of a sudden our guys are tired and their team is fresh and we're getting wailed on. They're skating all around us and the guys are running to the bench when they shouldn't be and other guys are trying to get out there and get in the play. It's too late. They didn't come to rest in time. And it made the game very difficult. There comes a point in our lives where we have to step back a minute and take a breath, take a breather, renew, spend some time with God, spend some time with Jesus, and really get a renewal happening in our lives. That's why spiritual retreats are important. That's why quiet time with God every morning or or evening or whenever you do it is so vitally important that you stop and spend some time resting in God. Even God, folks, even God rested. Didn't he? Now, one thing about resting I want to be very clear about. Resting doesn't mean you don't do anything. I was on a little league team for a while. And, you know, little league teams are funny because, you know, little, little kids, uh, it's hard for them to focus if they're not playing the game. Well, it's hard for them to focus when they're playing the game. But when they're on the bench, it gets very difficult. And I remember one of our coaches constantly saying to us, get in the game. And I'm like, hey, you took me out of the game. I'm here on the bench. You're telling me to get in the game. Besides that, there's this cute little girl that just walked by. And you want me to pay attention to the game? And he's going by and he's saying, you want to play on this team? You have to get in the game. I'm like, okay, put me in, coach. He says, no, no, no. Sit right there and cheer your team on. Get, encourage them. You know, he didn't say pray for them, but that's what God would call us to do. When you take a time out, when you take a moment to rest, that doesn't mean you don't do anything. That means you're on the sidelines. You're renewing spiritually, and at the same time, you're encouraging those who are out on the field. (coughs) You're praying for them, writing them little notes, calling them up. Hey, how's it going? You're still actively involved in the game. If you're not, when you get back into the game, you'll have no idea what's going on. I hope for those of you who didn't make it to VBS this week that you were spending time praying for what was happening at VBS. We felt the prayers of many, and it was great. But we can always use more prayer during VBS. I hope those of you who weren't involved in VBS were resting up because we're going to have some new programs starting, and we're going to need your help. And some of those who are in VBS are done for a little bit. They need a break. But we're going to see God continue. You see, that's why we need each other. We're a team. We pursue and we rest. We pursue and we rest. But the people of God are continually pursuing to see victory in the midst of tragedy. And we see it over and over and over again. They pursued. Some of them stayed back. And by the way, uh, if you read the rest of the chapter, you discover that those 200 men that stayed back, they took care of all the extra supplies. They were the supply line for the guys on the front line. They didn't just lay there, lay around and do nothing. They were making sure the guys on the front line were taken care of. They were vitally important to what was happening. Even though they were tired and needed to rest. 
You are vitally important to what's happening here at Greenfield Baptist Church every day. You're vitally important to what's happening in the lives of your brothers and sisters sitting next to you in the pew or across the the sanctuary from you. You are vitally important spiritually. We're in the middle of a spiritual battle, and we need each other. The world is telling us that the, the tragedy is going to overcome all the good in this world. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus is still victorious. He's still going to overcome. I've read the whole Scripture, and I've read the last book of the Bible. And guess who wins? We win. We win. So pursue and rest. And then finally, um, listen to the messenger. Listen to the messenger. To me, one of the most amazing things of this whole story is they just happen to come across this Egyptian uh, who is an Amalekite slave. Oh, oh, he just happened to appear. Uh, Now, do you suppose God had anything to do with that? And as they bring him to David, they, they, they feed him, they provide for him, they make sure he's well taken care of because they know that he's going to have information that they need. And so they bring him in and they begin to ask him questions. Where are you from? What do you know? And finally, is there a way you can lead us to the, one, uh, to the ones who have all our goods and our families? And he says, yeah, I can if you'll swear by God, which is interesting. Obviously, he now believes in this God. If you would swear by God that you won't kill me. And they do. And he tells them where the raiding party is. How does he know that? Well, because he's been with them. He knows where they hang out. He knows where they hide. And God has placed him in just the right place at just the right moment so that the people of Israel, the the children of Israel, the, the armies of David can recover what has been lost so that there would be victory in the midst of tragedy. Now, I want you to hear very carefully that the Scripture in Isaiah makes it very clear that it's a beautiful thing when people come and share with you the message of God. And when someone comes and shares with you the message of God, if you don't pay attention, you're going to miss what God is doing in your life. Just saying. But if you would pay close attention and listen to God, you will hear the same, actually you hear the same message over and over and over again. I hope you notice that. You may have said, sometimes I wonder why I go to the church. That preacher says the same thing every week. It's something we need to hear every week. What is it they proclaim? They proclaim good tidings. They proclaim peace. They proclaim good news. They proclaim salvation. And this is what they say. You ready? Your God. Your God. Your God reigns. Your God is still in control. Your God is still on the throne. Your God will still bring victory, even in the midst of tragedy. Your God has a message for you today. And the message is, the tragedies of life shall not overcome you. While you put your trust in Him, and while you listen for His voice, and while you follow Him, you begin to discover that over and over and over again in the midst of tragedy, there is still victory. Still victory. In your life. Now I don't know what your tragedy is. 
I don't know what your personal tragedy is this morning. And I don't know where you're struggling the most. But wherever it is, I firmly believe that if you would put your trust in the strength of the Almighty God, if you would pursue, not just lay back, but pursue the answer, the hope, the recovery of what was lost, if you would pursue that with the people of God, and if you would listen to the message of God's hope through Jesus Christ, you can, you can be victorious. So the, the hope of victory and tragedy comes from the power of God and our willingness to believe. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank You for the victory that You've given us. That our personal hurts and struggles need not define us. That the sin that so often entangles us and trips us up need not overwhelm us or even get in our way. If we would be willing to this morning lay our lives before You. You have come to bring victory. Lord, we weep with those who weep this morning. But we grieve not as those without hope, but as those with hope. Knowing that in You, even death is overcome in victory. So, Lord Jesus, come. Fill us not only with this hope, but give us strength to live the truth of Your message. The truth of Your forgiveness. The truth of Your healing. The truth of Your life transformation. Lord, may those who struggle this morning Feel your strength anew and pursue the answers that they need that they might find in you the strength that they need to see the victory over and over again. Thank you for being here. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.